Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello everyone, Rob Guest from Football.London here and welcome to the latest episode of Gold and Guest Talk Tottenham, sponsored by NordVPN. Now Tottenham finally have a new manager, Ange Postacoglu has signed a four-year contract at Tottenham Hotspur Stadium and that brings an end to Tottenham's search for a new manager, 72 days as it was two years ago when the club appointed a new note as Spirito Santo. Alistair Gold joining me as ever, Ali, how are you? Yeah, g'day, mate. I'm all right, thanks. Honestly, I, I could talk in Australian accent for this entire podcast because the amount of time I have dedicated in the last week to, oh my goodness, I've listened to almost every podcast that Ange Postacoglu has been involved in. I've watched probably every bit of YouTube footage, documentary, whatever you'll call it, that he has been in. I've even bought his book, which I'm about to start reading as well. Honestly, I, I just think in my, I don't know if it's dreams or nightmares, I hear his voice. So apologies if I ever slip into an Australian accent, but it's going to probably come at some point. Um, but you know what? It's good to have some clarity. At least we know now what the future holds um, and what path Spurs have decided to go on. And, you know, fair play to Rob Guest, Rob Guest called this weeks back, made a very clear and impassioned speech fighting for the right for Ange Postacoglu to become the new Tottenham Hotspur boss. And do you know what? I think it's the clearest indication yet that Daniel Levy must listen to these podcasts because lo and behold, once Guest he had made that speech, he converted a lot of us, me included. I, I started to turn when I heard that. I, I was very impressed by your words. And clearly, the uh, the Tottenham board agreed. And here we are, the new head coach with a, a nice long-term deal as well. So does that mean I get a medal then if they win a trophy next <laughs> a season? Or am I going to win a trophy first? Help lift the trophy as well if Ange that guides is, them to glory. I think Ange, big Ange, to, uh, should invite you up onto the, uh, the, is it the Royal Box at Wembley so that you can lift it with him. I think it's only fair. Quite frankly, and you should also wear a very similar jumper to the one he'll be wearing. <laughs> I presume he'll get a club. They'll definitely shove a club branded jumper on him, won't they? Hundred percent. You'd imagine so, yeah, yeah. Because at Celtic, he said uh, uh, again one of the f- hundreds of things that I've watched recently. He was wearing was it a black jumper in the first season or something, and in the second one he started wearing a green one. And he was joking in that, that, yeah, they must be selling loads of those in the club shop. So I can imagine Spurs will quickly shove a club-branded jumper on him. 
um, and just watch those. We should all rock up uh, in those jumpers like for the first game or something. That'd be interesting. Yeah, because he did say in his speech after winning his first league title, you've embraced this jumper. Basically, (laughs) he he said that to all the Celtic fans at Celtic Park. So, yeah, going to be interesting. I think it's uh, the right decision. It's just, like you said, it's just nice to have some clarity. That's what we've been waiting for for just over two months now. It just seemed like it was going to surpass those 72 days, but... Bang on 72 days and, yeah, Tottenham have a brand new manager and the club can just move forward again. So, your fir- your thoughts, first of all, Ali, on the news that Postacoglu is the man to take charge? Yeah, look, people, th- there's, I'm not going to hide behind the fact that, obviously, he wasn't up there as my first choice originally. You know, I really liked the idea of Julian Nagelsmann and I really liked the idea of Arna Slot, but... As always, especially with our job, what we have to do is we have to thoroughly research every single thing. I mean, even for Arna Slot, the, you know, the two of us were researching so much and writing so many articles just in, in, in case it, that one did happen. Um, and we've done exactly the same. I'd say even more so with Anish Postacoglu because we got even kind of stronger vibes that this was actually going to go all the way through as it progressed. And yeah, I, I have to admit, I, I'm I'm fully ang in i'm fully converted the amount of stuff i've read about him i think i think it's gonna be a wild ride i think there's gonna be some tough days as well um his style of football let's be honest to dare is to do is exactly his style uh to dare is to didgeridoo i've seen uh, very cleverly on the internet as well um and he will bring a lot of the football that the Spurs fans want to see and we desperately want to see. We're fed up with writing about some of the football we've had to write about in recent years. But with his very attacking style, we'll also bring some days when I'm sure we'll all say, oh, you know, oh, they could have defended a bit better. Or, or maybe that was a little bit naive going for it in that kind of moment and things like that. But on the whole... It has brought him success everywhere he has been, other than that very brief spell in Greece that he had, which there was there was a lot of extenuating kind of circumstances there and things going on at that club. Although, from what I'm told, he actually, in, I think it was only eight months, I think he was there, he actually had them climbing up the league as well. But everywhere else, trophies galore, um, even with Australia, you know, winning the Asian Cup and, and the way, even though they didn't, get the results at the World Cup when he was the the coach. Everyone raved about the football they were playing and everything. And what we're going to get is we're going to get a Tottenham Hotspur team that has a lot of the ball, that tries to get it forward at every opportunity, that plays really fast, quick, aggressive football. It's going to be a bit potch-like in the early days, hopefully. That seems to be the vibe. Um, His very much thinking on defending is... You know, it's not like he ignores the defence, not not at all. But what he does think, and it, it's a, a lot of managers subscribe to this as well, defending starts on the front. It's about those players at the front, winning the ball back, and really essentially making life as difficult for the opposition as possible and getting that ball back as quickly as possible. Um, and it's quite exciting. It is. once As soon as we kind of knew what the rest of the field was like in terms of the managerial candidates, for me... I preferred him to the others that were the left that were left. You know, the likes of, um, I mean, obviously Luis Enrique was the one that was probably the best actual had chance of getting it. I mean, no, there were some others linked like uh, Rogers and Potter and people like that. But to me, 
in terms of just enjoying football again and reading what a person he is, what a character he is, and how inspiring he is to his players, and also, most importantly, probably, how much in every club he's been at, he's undertaken a major rebuild and got the whole club's ethos and identity heading in the right direction. It just feels like the right fit for Spurs. Um, And the key thing now, and you're going to hear us repeat this over the months to come, is patience. There has to be patience. And I know the fans, a lot of them have run out of it. I know they have. But this is a guy who, by his own admission, at every club he's been at, it takes a couple of months at least to get his methods in place because they're very, very different to most of the time what's been there before, uh, especially with Spurs. It's going to be a big change from what they've had in recent years. And even at Celtic, I think, didn't they like lose to Hearts, who'd just been promoted in one of his first games? And he had straightaway uh, Champions League qualifiers that came within like a couple of weeks of him even taking over. And in those early weeks they struggled with some of their results and especially with a team at Celtic, they're expected to win everything, you know, domestically. You know, what was the important thing was that the fans were on board. Even early on, they didn't know who he was. As soon as they saw the football that was being served up, despite the early results, they were like, okay, we can see where we're going. And that's the key thing now is that the fans have that little bit of patience. I think the club will, purely because of this long-term contract, that's the first time we've. That's the longest contract since Poch. Um, and actually, I know I was thinking about it today. It didn't even cross my mind. He's the first manager Spurs have gone out and got that's been in a job for since Poch. Right. Yeah. People, yeah, people have be, kind yeah. of gone down this route of oh he's the cheap option, but actually he wasn't the cheap option. Ironically, yeah, you could argue his wages may well be less than some of the big names out there. But they did have to pay compensation for him. This rolling contract, which actually I didn't understand and had one of the Scottish journalists explained it to me. I thought a rolling annual contract was one where, let's say, at the end of June each year, if you don't decide to break, it continues. But it's actually not the case. Every day it rolls over. It has another 365 days each day, which I never... So he always had a year left on his deal, which is why Spurs have had to pay this compensation, which reports suggest is maybe around the 5 million mark uh, about that. So, yeah, he was not the cheap option at all. And he won't be the cheap option in terms of the squad because I think you're going to have to overhaul that squad. Um, but, yeah, I'm happy with it. I mean, I'm going to ask you your thoughts, but I know you're happy with it. Yeah. Uh, as I've said on the podcast a few times, uh, I believe he is the right man for Tottenham Hotspur, uh, especially just because of the football he plays and just his football philosophy. That's what Tottenham fans want. And that's what I think everyone at the club wants to see after the past few years under obviously Nuno, Jose Mourinho, Antonio Conte. It's not been the best of football at all. And fans just want to be entertained. And I think Ange knows that because of, as I've said before, when he grew up in South Melbourne, uh, going to watch South Melbourne Hellas with his dad, he knows like, People go through tough times at work during the week and it's a bit of a release for them and they want to be entertained and he can do exactly that uh, for Spurs. And I think the three key words he said when he was appointed Celtic manager, what he said to his players was, trust the process. And 
there was a lot of uh, probably concerns from Celtic fans when he was appointed manager. Uh, this manager who's just managed in Australia and Japan, uh, someone who probably people hadn't even heard of and very little experience in Europe. And then he came in, obviously got knocked out with the Champions League qualifiers, lost three of the first seven in the Scottish League. But because they trusted him and wanted him to play this way, uh, and he's completely worked out. He's won five from a possible six trophies uh, during his time in Scotland. He's, every club he's been at, he's succeeded. He's left them in a much better position. And I just think he ticks so many boxes uh, for Tottenham. I really do think he is uh, the right man for the job. But as you were saying, just need to give uh, give him time, give him patience. It, it might not click straight away. Uh, he's got to to get on the training pitch with his players in July and implement his philosophy. And that's going to take some time. But, you know, if everyone buys into it, then I think it really can uh, work. And it's great to see a number of uh, fans now really, really on board with this appointment. But <laughs> I just can't understand why some people like a week ago were just completely dismissing him just because he was Celtic manager. I think it comes from obviously doing research on him, just yeah. watching the videos of him on YouTube as well. And if you just watch him, uh, some of his team talks are fantastic. Uh, that one where he's Australian manager yeah. uh, is speaking about the people who've obviously watched you growing up, do it for them. And this was just the message before lunch. I think, I think he ended it with, right, enjoy your lunch. Yeah, to be uh, fair, I think it was ahead of a match, I'm yeah. told. I, I think it was on the day of a match, so yeah. It was, but it was just the way it was. Like, yeah. It was like a real brave heart kind of Churchillian speech. Wasn't it? Think of the people that have put you here, the people that have made you, your your mother, your father, your relatives, your uh, your coach, your first teacher. And he goes, like, after all that, enjoy your lunch. Yeah. It was such a brilliant sign-off. But I think he's someone who... Is a player you'd want to play for. Yeah. And I think all Celtic players have said that. They absolutely adore him, just like hang on every word he says. And I think he's probably someone Tottenham need as well, just this tough, no-nonsense Aussie. You are not going to mess with him at all. If you obviously mess we're with not, him... Like, I, don't think we're, I think we're no, going to no, struggle no. as well. <laughs> <laughs> if you mess with him, like you are just going to be completely uh, out of it and... I think for me, what I like about him is it's what he says. He says all the right words. Celtic fans absolutely adore him. You know, hang on, he's every word, same as as the players as well. And I think he's already, you know, a number of Tottenham fans are already fans of him from doing the research. But I think he will, you know, get even more fans on his side once he's had his first press conference and I know there's a disconnect at the moment between obviously the fans and those at the top of the club and how it's run, the direction the club's going in. But I think Ange has the power to unite everyone and make everyone, you know, fall in love with the football club again. And that's going to take time. But if he can replicate what he did at Celtic, at Tottenham, then I think he's onto a winner. And I think everyone will enjoy the products, uh, football, what comes with it. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, look, I understand some of the concerns. I do. I think in the interest of, ba interest of balance, we have to obviously address the fact that, yeah, he hasn't had this experience at the top level in club football. 
obviously international football he has. He's coached at a World Cup. He's coached um, you know, to an Asian Cup win as well, which was a massive feat for Australia. I don't think we can overlook how that actually played out, that tournament as well. Um, beating Sonny's South Korea in the final. Sonny scored as well. Um, and But yeah, I understand totally that this is going to be a very new level for him of club football. And I do think concerns-wise, you can look at the European football that has been played under him. Um, you know, having spoken to a couple of Scottish journalists that have covered the team week in, week out, they kind of caveat that with the fact of Celtic aren't particularly um, expected to do well in Europe. So they are kind of, what was mainly stood out to him was the fact that they, let's for instance, played Real Madrid off the park for like half of their game kind of thing. And just obviously was that more, it was, it was the, the difference in quality in the end that saw Real Madrid kind of take charge of that, um, the game, I can't remember the scoreline. It was quite a heavy defeat. It was 3-0, 3-0, 3-0 to Real, and I think it was 5-1 in the Bernabeu. Yeah, and it sounds like they had a lot of possession, Celtic, but just, yeah, it was the quality difference in the end that did it. But yeah, no, I do think there's there's concerns there as well uh, in that respect. And I mean, they're not going to have continental football anyway, Spurs this season, but still it's the aspect of maybe when they've come up against sides of note, can he be tactically... Um, kind of variable. Can he change things up when something isn't working? That's going to be something we'll have to see. But surely you'd think over a guy, you know, his career has been 20 plus years. Um, he must have had to change up his tactics at times for certain matches. And that's not to say he'll go defensive, but just, you know, being able to do something like change a player's position to counter another player. I mean, on the whole, I get the idea from listening to him that a little bit again potch like in that his main thought is look i'm not disregarding what the opposition can do and where we have to be aware of their strengths and weaknesses but on the whole i want them to be worried about us that's kind of the way he sees football um and like i say about his career is a lovely thing that um was one of the things i was listening to i don't know if you knew this he's do you know how old he was when he started coaching uh mid 30s was it something like that 12 Oh, really? <laughs> it's a really lovely story. Of He essentially wanted his team to start up, a, sorry, his school uh, to start up a, a football team. Obviously, in Australia, especially in those days, they were very much, um, they were all on their Australian rules football, uh, Aussie rules football, the cricket, rugby, everything. Not Football was like a bit of an afterthought. Um, and so he kind of got them to start up this team and they shoved a um, music teacher in charge. And the music teacher, he said he was like looking across and during one session, he looked at the music teacher, he was sat under a tree marking papers. He was like, he could not be bothered. So what happened was 12-year-old Ange Postacoglu took charge of this team. And because he had grown up in a household with his Greek father, obviously, if you're not aware, Ange Postacoglu is Greek himself. He came across when he was five years old with his family to Australia. Because um, he came from a, a football-loving household, he, he knew what he was talking about. So he took charge of this team. And it's a bit one of those that you could end up seeing it in some kind of movie. Um, he took his team to win the state championship, despite the fact he was 12 years old. It's a lovely story um, of just kind of getting these kids together and coaching them. And he says that he's still in touch with some of these kids now. And they say to him, like, you just seem to know what you were talking about. So we listened and we did what you said. And and here they are beating all these teams that actually had proper 
kind of school football coaches. Um, and it, so it, it was all kind of starting off then. And and honestly, I really recommend people listen to some of the podcasts out. There's one he, he did with um, a chap called Anthony Hudson, who I think is a the son of a former Stoke player. I'm trying to remember who it was. It, it's quite a famous footballing family. And it's a, a one about coaches. I might even have it here somewhere. It's a brilliant 45 minutes or so podcast, which really tell here we are. It's Anthony Hudson's Mastermind Elite Coach Development Series. And there's one all on Ange Postacoglu where he talks to him for 45 minutes, and it's fascinating. If you want to know why he is so dedicated to attacking football, you just kind of need to listen to this. In essence, and I'm doing this no justice whatsoever, it's essentially about a man trying to connect with his dad. His dad was a very, very hardworking man, obviously brought the family across, didn't know any English, was trying to kind of find his way in Australia, would work all day, would come home, pretty much just collapse on the sofa, knackered after having his dinner. But the one day that he would have to spend with little Ange was Sunday, uh, and they bonded over football. They went to um, the local Melbourne team. Was it Hellas? I think it was the very South, Greek South state. Melbourne, Hel- Hellas, yeah. Hellas. Uh, yeah South- formed by Greek immigrants. Yes. So that was their Sunday. That was their time to bond. Um, and actually, his dad made a real point of kind of almost trying to stop him going into other sports because almost he would later realize was probably worried that he'd lose his son to this new country, wouldn't be able to bond with him. Um, and so his dad loved the the top players of the time. He loved, like, let's say, the Dutch 1974 World Cup team, the way they played their total football with Cruyff. Um, and, yeah, essentially, he took this ethos of football with him and, you know, anyone that's tried to make their dad proud will kind of know how this feels, that every time as a coach he would put his team out, he would imagine, and not have to imagine most of the time because his dad would be there, but he would think, my dad's in the stands, how, does he, how would he want us to play football today? And that has guided his entire philosophy, this never stop, never give up, kind of using the ethos of his dad's hard work allied with the kind of football his dad wanted to see. Um, And yeah, his dad sadly died, I think it was about three years ago, two, three years ago. And it hit him really hard because this was a guy that had essentially developed his whole career around trying to make his dad proud as well. Um, But as a kind of, again, one of the podcasts I was listening to, there's a nice element to just, but he knew well he was coaching in Japan. He knew his father had become very unwell. Um, so he coached this last game before kind of heading over. And it was like a ridiculous game. They won, I think, 7-1. And it was like the perfect kind of match to encapsulate what his dad would have wanted to have watched. And when he arrived in Australia to kind of essentially say his goodbyes to his dad, the family told him that his dad had watched that game. And he was like, obviously clearly very proud of him. And it was the last game he watched. And then... He had a day with him to say goodbye, and then the next day he died. And it's just obviously, I just find this fascinating. As someone that's lost, you know, I lost my dad a few years back as well. I love this idea of a career built around essentially making his dad proud. I think it's very cool. And you'll see this reflected in the football as well. And we'll hopefully see this at Tottenham now, this mainly a 4-3-3. We'll see uh, real possession football. We'll see a real intent from the centre-backs to quickly get that ball forward to the midfield. He does not like the ball being played high. We won't see too many of these diagonal raking passes that we know 
sometimes Romero and Dyer like to play. Um, he, I think he's early on in his coaching career actually had this thing where they wouldn't even allow the ball to go overhead height at points. I'm sure that's not going to be all the time, but there's very much a desire to keep the ball on the deck and, and get it moving quickly up the pitch. Um, and we'll see, hopefully, creative midfielders. I think you're going to need them in that system. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm. The more and more I read about it, the more I'm looking forward to what we're going to see. It kind of it feels almost like a Martin Joel wrapped up in Pochettino, almost like a weird hybrid of the two of them. Um, and yeah, we're going to have good experiences in the press conferences and some bad ones. Um, yeah, no, we're going to hear a lot of. He says that a lot. Yeah, no, um, and. I think when you've annoyed him, he calls you mate in the presser. <laughs> so if he says mate, you're stuffed. Something's about to come your way. I saw this with a one poor interpreter guy who was just pointing out to him that the volume on the microphone wasn't great and he couldn't in, uh, he couldn't translate for him. It was a Champions League presser. And oh my goodness, he like tore him apart. Essentially, you know, don't interrupt me. Don't interrupt me. So, oh my God, the guy just wants to be able to hear you. So yeah, we're going we're gonna to get some interesting days ahead. But Spurs need a strong character. And it seems like this is the guy to bring it, hopefully. I know a lot of pointed probably to his managerial experience that it's all come from uh, abroad. But I think Harry Kewell did an interview last year with the Sydney Morning Herald. And he, he said that he thinks that's like actually a good thing. He's got all this experience. He's, he's done the, you know, he's done the hard yards. And he's come from a country what's not, a footballing hotbed, so you're not going to be immediately plucked from Australia and come and manage one of these European, big European teams after only a couple of years. But he's got, what, 25 years plus in in management. I think it can only be a, a good thing, and time will tell if it is the right appointment or not. But I'm just really intrigued to see Tottenham's approach, especially when they're coming up against the likes of Liverpool and City, uh, I think it may be similar to what Leeds were under Bielsa in the first couple of seasons back in the Premier League, where it's we just play the one way and we stick to it, they're our principles but I think Spurs would certainly be a lot more savvy at the back than than Leeds were and I think the 4-3-3 four, four, the four, three, three is going to be interesting because Two of the two of the three midfielders are given a license to push up. Ange wants them to go up and support the frontman. And looking at the goal involvements from Celtic last season, I think Rio Hatati had twenty goal involvements. Aaron Moy, Matt O'Reilly had eighteen. David Turnbull had about twelve. So you'd be expecting a lot of goals and assists from uh, those attack-minded midfielders. And he also plays with the. Uh, inverted fullbacks what's going to be interesting seeing Emerson Royale coming into the central positions and trying to obviously like dictate play uh, and that as well and I think I think he likes that because that then gives the midfielder who sits yeah. a bit more cover and especially if uh, they lose the ball up high then there's three players in there immediately to win win it back straight away so it's high energy really, they need yeah. their, they're going to need a lot of stamina. I'm intrigued to see the kind of fitness in pre-season and how that works. There's going to be a real need for it. Yeah, and as part of the interview Kuehl did, he opened up on the training sessions as well and he said that he felt like when he was a manager, his sessions were intense, but Ange just takes them to another 
level altogether. And what he does, he just paints the clearest of pictures for the players so they know what they have to do and he'll show them it is basically it's that way you've got to learn it and that's what we do so it's going to be demanding I think it's going to be intense uh, for the Tottenham players in training but it can pay off If, like I said if everyone buys into it plays the way he wants to play uh, then he can fully work for him at Tottenham yeah absolutely it's it's going to need a different squad I think the squad doesn't currently fit what he's going to require from it. It's going to be a very, very busy summer, I think. Um, it opens the door for a lot of these loan players that are coming back as well who may fit his system better than any previous manager that's been there since uh, in the last few years anyway. Um, yeah, I... I I'm I'm excited to see what you can bring. You know, on your point about how they're going to play against those big sides, maybe the way Celtic were playing in Europe against the likes of Real Madrid suggests that he's still going to go for it. Um, which there's a certain irony to the fact that obviously when Spurs have played the likes of Man City, they've absolutely smashed them on the counter attack each time. It's it's that's been such a key thing. Whether that will work playing in the original or sorry the Ange way. Um, remains to be seen. But yeah, like you say, it's about being a bit more savvy. It's about he'll learn the Premier League as he goes as well. It feels like everywhere he's gone, he's very quickly adapted. Um, Like I say, needs those couple of months just to get his methods across that are so different. But in terms of as a coach, he seems to adapt quite quickly to uh, different leagues and and different uh, requirements as well without compromising his kind of central beliefs. Um, but yeah, he's uh, he's a very interesting guy. And I think a lot of the stuff about communication for me is, is so fascinating with him. Just to kind of explain to people who've probably seen a lot of the the clips that have gone viral of his team. We, know, we, we mentioned the team talk uh, with the Australia team, but there's other ones as well that are out there. You've You'll have probably seen one of him going absolutely mad at them. I think it was at halftime in one game, smashing the screen and swearing at them. He doesn't mind chucking a swear word in there as well or two to get his point across. Um, And the players, anyone that's played for him, if you ask them, they'll say, they'll all do the same. They'll run through walls for him. He absolutely has that ability to inspire people. But fascinatingly for me, He's not an arm around the shoulder, talk to his players, getting amongst them type, which you would feel like from watching those videos of him, he is, but he's not. And he's he's very clear about this, that when it comes to his players, I was listening to um, a podcast the other day. He said, if you can find me any player from like almost 30 years of coaching that could say they've had more than a minute conversation with me when I was their coach, I'll be shocked. And there's a reason behind it. What he does is he, he obviously uses that minute very carefully and precisely, says exactly what he wants to say. He's very clear. His message is always very, very clear. And it all stems back from when he uh, stopped being a player. He was a reasonably successful uh, fullback. He was uh, capped by Australia, won titles, was a captain, um, and then took over uh, the club he was playing at. And suddenly found that, oh, I'm actually managing loads of my mates here. And he had a really difficult early thing. He had to tell pretty much his best mate, sorry, it's time for you to retire. 
Um, you, you're just kind of not at the level you need to be anymore. And I think he found that so difficult that he almost pretty much made a decision in that moment that from then on, he was never going to be one of the lads. He was never going to be in and amongst his players as one of their friends. He was always going to remain and keep this distance away from his players. And so in his words, he could make the most uh, unemotional decisions. He could do what was right for the team, not was what was right for the person. Um, and he says, he says, it's strange because I don't have that connection with them on a one-to-one level, yet you could ask any of them and they probably still do feel very close to me. He says it's kind of about what he says when he says it and the way he deals with people is always fair because he says it's there's no one. You won't find me cozying up to one of the players because I think he's the best player. I will just treat them all exactly the same way. They respect that. And then when I talk to the group, I will paint pictures, I will tell a story um, and I will get them to do exactly what I want. And yeah, it's this ability to convey what he wants that is so important with him even when he was in japan none of the players he had spoke any english so he found quite quickly oh this is slightly diluting what i'm doing i've got this guy who's interpreting for me so what he ended up doing and he says it admits himself he's rubbish at drawing he would draw like stick men on a on a board and he would kind of explain it graphically to them what he wanted and we're not just talking about football we're talking because he tries to he's one of these guys that wants you to be a, a great person as well as that's again i hate to keep going back to it but this was something potch was very keen on as well was about the person being uh good as well as the footballer kind of thing um and yeah and, and he he said that the japanese translator that he had um got so into it that he actually ended up becoming more passionate and emotional than he did so he would look across at him while he's doing a team talk and the guy was almost in tears trying to explain what he wanted. And there's quite one famous moment in the, the J-League when, and I think it's on video somewhere, <laughs> where the referee comes over and you think he's about to book Postacoglu and he books his interpreter <laughs> because the interpreter is getting so over the top, wound up on the sideline in trying to convey the messages that actually he got booked. Um, so yeah, I think as a communicator, he's going to be absolutely fascinating. Um, but yeah, we're going to see this side of him where he doesn't um, talk that much to them on a daily basis. He, he lets his coaches do that. And I think he's actually like that with his coaches. I think he lets them get on. You'll see him at the training ground prowling, like watching everything and just saying the odd little thing in people's ears, what he wants them to do. And uh, I saw one of the Celtic players, I can't remember who it was, said that he uh, it, that has the perfect effect because it, everyone feels like they're watching them, that he's watching them, and that you've got to perform for him and you've got to make him happy. Um, but they are. There's, a, there's an intimidation. There's a little bit of fear. There was one uh, player, um, I don't know if I've got the, the story in front of me, but he was on a long flight on a pre-season tour and he'd been a little bit, uh, I think he'd done a bit of a prank with some of the players on another player the night before and Big Ange was not happy. Um, and then when he found out the seating schedule for the long flight, it was a 14-hour flight back, he was sat next to Postacoglu. Postacoglu did not say a single word to him the entire 14-hour flight and when he fell asleep in his seat, the player was so scared of waking him up, he couldn't knock him. So he didn't go to the toilet for the entire 14-hour flight because he was so scared of asking if he could go through. 
Um, and like I say, it goes back to this strong presence that they need, and yet they that same guy would run through a wall for them. It, it's such a fascinating um, kind of paradox almost, that the, the way he is, the way he coaches, the way he'll... After a game, you know, if a player's done, you'll see him hug them and everything. It's just this funny line that he has that he will not really cross in terms of communication. Um, and that, that, to be fair, I was talking to someone yesterday that's quite high up in football, and, and he was saying that a lot of these coaches are like that. He said that's not actually a, a, a new thing. He said it's actually probably more unusual when coaches are like one of the lads and they're among the players. He said quite a lot of them do keep this professional distance now. Um, and it, I think it's like Pep. Like Pep Guardiola, I don't think you could say he's one who's out having like a beer with the lads or anything like that. He's very much a bit of a character. And actually, I mean, you should look, anyone that wants to research should look into the little links between Postacoglu and Guardiola. There's a big mutual affection there. I think there's a similar brand of football. And, and Guardiola has praised him in the past when he's, he came up against his uh, Yokohama team in uh, a preseason friendly. And again, yes, City had the greater quality, so won the game. But the Yokohama side had the bulk of the possession. They played him off the park for long periods and saw quotes from Raheem Sterling saying they were the best team he's ever faced in playing the ball out from the back. They just couldn't get the ball off them. Um, so, yeah, honestly, I think this is one of these where people will see the background and they might be concerned. But sometimes out of sight, out of mind doesn't always mean that they're lesser for it. Um, and I, I think, you know, I'm quite excited about what's to come, and uh, clearly you are as well. Yeah, very much so. I think just going on what you were saying about Andrew's little words with the players, I think that saw a quote from Matt O'Reilly, who's a midfielder, joined them from MK Dons, I think, last January. Uh, yeah, he just outlined that. He has very little conversation with Ange, but when he speaks, that makes you want to listen even more and you just hang on. Is it everywhere? Then some other quotes as well from Aaron Moy, who played under him for Australia. Uh, so he knows all about him already. This is before he made the move to Celtic, I think at the beginning of this season. He said when he was playing for Ange for Australia, like he was intimidated by them. And... It, and hasn't changed. He's still intimidated by him. And I think that's what you probably want uh, as a player. That's what you want your coach to be like. You don't want them to, to be all pally-pally at the end of the day. The the manager, they're not one of the lads. Uh, so I think there probably will be a bit of a fear factor between the players and the manager. But Andrew's done an incredible job wherever he, he has been. And yeah, fingers crossed that will be the case for him uh, at Tottenham. Uh, following... Just a little question for you. I was just going to ask oh, you. Isn't it nice to have a manager that's going to be proud of being Tottenham Hotspur manager as well? It's like, I know people want these big names and everything, but what sometimes comes with that, and we've seen this maybe in the last couple or, 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 or a few of the last uh, few, that they've almost felt like they were doing Spurs a favour. It was about their career and all that. I get the impression, certainly knowing his background and what he's come from, he is going to be so proud to be the Tottenham Hotspur boss. And I think we'll all feel that as well. Surely that's that's a major thing as well. Yeah, massively. I think with Antonio Conte, it always seemed like 
oh, I don't have to be here. I'm actually doing you a favor. I'm this mm. big, big manager. Uh, I can go on manage bigger and better clubs. And the thing is with Conte, even in his first six months, I think everyone was just unsure whether he'd be manager of Tottenham uh, heading into last season. So I think after the Norwich game, even when you were in the press conferences, you were like questioning, are you still going to be here next year? Because there was just so much doubt because you think yeah. oh, it'll, it'll go on to a, another club elsewhere. Uh, and yeah, you, you want a manager who wants to be at the club. Uh, Ange has done the hard yards, done a number of jobs in Australia in Japan as well, obviously got his big break in Europe, going to Celtic, done incredibly well there. And, you know, he's worked that hard throughout his career. Uh, this is what he'll have wanted. This is what he will have aspired to, to be a Premier League manager. So he's gone to grasp this opportunity with, you know, both hands. And the fact that it's a four-year contract rather than like a rolling contract as it was at Celtic or a two-and-a-half-year deal like Antonio Conte had, Jose Mourinho. This shows that I think he wants to be here for the long term and the club also view him as a long-term appointment as well. Yeah, yeah. This is just my feeling on it. It's like I understand that people want these huge-name managers and the ambition they bring, and I absolutely understand that. And like I say, Nagelsmann for me was my probably my first choice. But... There's a lot to be said for someone who really, truly wants to be at your football club and is honoured to be there. And there's, you know, there's the aspect as well. I've seen some people saying, oh, he'll just be a yes man. <laughs> I promise you, if you want to find someone who is definitely not going to be a yes man, it's Andrew Post- uh, Postacoglu. Honestly, listen to the way he talks. Uh, read anything about him. This man will walk out, um, or not walk out, but he will very much have his say. I mean, the reason I say walk out was because he walked out on Australia after qualifying them for another World Cup. Um, uh, Technically, I think he didn't qualify for the one before because I think he took over, but he had got them qualified. I think it was 2018 World Cup, I think. Um, And he was just so unhappy with the way that the... FA was then, the Australian FA felt that they needed to play more pragmatic football and it was more about the result. And yeah, he, he just, even though he had the prospect of going to a World Cup as the manager a second time, it was just like, no, nope, this isn't my belief. So anyone that thinks that he's going to go in there and just be happy with what he's given, there's a difference between being proud to have a job and, you know, bending over backwards for everyone else because they've given you this opportunity. This is a guy who, yeah, he has been waiting for this opportunity. He's, People have maybe just because of where he's come from have, I don't know, maybe there's a snobbery, maybe there's a turning a nose up. You know, I've heard him say about having uh, interviews years back with teams like, he, he didn't name the team, but let's, for instance, he had a, an interview with someone, uh, a club in the championship. And obviously it was it was having to do it over Zoom because of where he was. and And he said, he could hear, you couldn't get a video. It wasn't a video coming from the other side. All he could hear was the audio and he could hear the car indicator. <laughs> so he could hear it was someone, uh, a top person at a championship club doing an interview with him who was clearly just in their car and was doing it almost as a box ticking exercise. And so this is a guy that's had to kind of put up with that, knowing that he's not going to get jobs because he had no European experience. And then shock horror, Goes to Celtic, does an incredible job, and you've got like Brighton were interested in him. 
Uh, he's been linked with Chelsea a couple of times. Um, Man City, I know because Yokohama is part of the City group, he's very well regarded within that group. And obviously there's the Scott Munn connection. Um, and Marseille have been looking at him for this summer. They were kind of potentially going to try and rival Spurs. So it's funny, isn't it? Sometimes all you need is that door to open. And this was very similar to, he had this, again, another viral clip, if you haven't seen it, is of him having a full-on kind of very difficult argumentative interview with Craig Foster, uh, Australian, former footballer who's a, a journalist or, or a pundit he became and who essentially wanted him to resign as an under-20s coach. And the fallout from that interview was that he was almost unemployable for a couple of years because people saw that interview and felt that he was too much trouble. Um, and again, it was just a case of, he's had to build his career back. He's had to find his way back. And and his chance moment after that was he went on telly, became a pundit instead for 18 months and happened to bump into the chairman of a club in, in the car park after a bit of punditry duty, got offered a job. Suddenly he's the next big thing again. And now after being unemployable, a lot of in Australia see him as their a massive idol. They see him as this great kind of, probably the pinnacle of football for them and also one of their major sporting figures despite their success in other sports as well so it's a massive thing in football isn't it sometimes you just need a chance you can be written off you can be ignored from where you come from and you can get a chance and everything suddenly happens and actually that's something he's taken on as well and you'll often see him given coaches a chance who haven't maybe or have had some doors closed. He's done it with Harry Kuehl at Celtic. And I wouldn't be shocked if he does it at Spurs as well. Um, yeah, he's fascinating. Honestly, you know, when you research someone and you kind of end up, this doesn't always happen, but you research someone, you actually end up respecting the person a lot. Uh, and that's the impression I've got from him. I'm, I'm fascinated to start getting into those press conferences and seeing how he is with us and what we can get out of him as well. I think like you were saying just then about giving coaches a chance i think that probably stems from you know his managerial career that opportunities haven't been there for him uh, at times when he maybe could have you know gone to a bigger club in europe or elsewhere and i think he probably knows the power of giving uh someone an opportunity because sometimes for people they're just just not there so i think that's another great aspects of you know Ange Postacoglu as a person as well as being a good football manager right as where well we're way past the halfway stage <laughs> of this podcast Ali do you want to let everyone know about the benefits of using NordVPN of course yeah if you're not aware by now the Golden Guest Talk Tottenham podcast is sponsored by NordVPN and you can use the service in a host of different ways to enhance your internet experience NordVPN is the fastest VPN in the world, and that means there's no buffering, there's no lagging, and you can stream your favorite shows or sports or from anywhere in the world without your bandwidth throttling. It's something I've done many, many times over the years, long before Nord became our sponsor. Um, it gives you the ability to watch whatever you want to watch at home and take it with you, uh, despite the fact that some places try to stop you for some reason doing that. But this way, you can just set your device to thinking it's back in the UK and you can watch everything that you've paid for and rightly should be able to watch. Um, it's very, very useful service, and it's also very secure. It acts as a um, kind of a, a peace of mind as well when you're using, let's say, public Wi-Fi abroad and you don't want other people getting into your device and taking stuff. 
it acts as a very pretty much a padlock for your devices. It's it's such a great service. And not only that, but the outlay on a NordVPN subscription is cheaper for you in the long run. And that's because you can purchase streaming services or bookings from other countries at a much cheaper rate. So let's say, for example, you could book a flight from another country uh, and that can be cheaper too. So it means you're paying out for Nord, but you're actually saving money overall. There's a whole host of other benefits from signing up to NordVPN, so why not give it a go? You can grab your exclusive NordVPN deal through our podcast by going to nordvpn.com forward slash gold guest to get a huge discount off your NordVPN plan, plus four additional months for free. And it's completely risk-free with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. On the subject then of the coaching staff, as we were just saying before, uh, you described the benefits of using NordVPN. Uh, Tottenham announced in their statement on Tuesday uh, when they appointed Andrew's manager that an announcement on obviously the coaching staff would be uh, confirmed in due course. Going to be interesting in terms of the coaching staff because Andrew arrived at Celtic pretty much as a a one-man band, didn't take anyone with him. And obviously there's now a bit of talk of John Kennedy, uh, one of his Celtic assistants joining him in uh, North London, I think, Maybe talk as well of Gavin Strachan. I think he is the son of Gordon, who could also potentially move from Parkhead to Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Yeah, it's an interesting one because I wonder whether if that happens, um, if, if, if even if just John Kennedy comes along, I wonder whether that's a slight shift for Big Ange in knowing that he's here has probably got to hit the ground running quicker than anywhere else he has before. Um, and yeah, he, he's got this philosophy, like we've said, of bringing in coaches, giving them an opportunity. And he says the reason behind this is that he loves the idea of starting afresh with new coaches because their natural inquisitive nature, their questioning why, asking him why he wants to do stuff, naturally makes him... Uh, renew his beliefs, have to understand his beliefs, sometimes learn new stuff from these new coaches as well, and just constantly educated himself as well with what they come to the party with. Uh, so he loves that refreshing of, of his um, his focus and his philosophy. And, you know, it's this is a guy who, yeah, he's going to be 58 this summer, but you probably won't find many more people more on the cutting edge of football. He, he loves that aspect of it. He loves learning the latest techniques and he's going to find it fascinating. Whereas being at clubs where let's say, I don't know, maybe there's been one or two nutritionists or one or two data analysts and stuff like that. And now suddenly he's going to come to a club that's probably got five, six, seven, eight, nine of each of those. And he's got to u- learn how to employ that many people to get the maximum out of what he wants and sports science and everything. Um, that's not to say that he hasn't had that before, but in the Premier League, the the expectation is that each of these departments will be much bigger, and obviously that comes from greater funding. Um, so yeah, I'm intrigued to to see, and this obviously will be a, a natural question for his first press conference, whether if he does bring any staff with him, will that naturally mean that he's got less time to get his ideas across to new coaches? So does he have to have more people that instantly can hit the ground running with him and and impart what he wants to the players? Um, yeah, it'll be fascinating to see. And, and I'm intrigued to see what happens with Ryan Mason as well. Um, Ryan Mason, there's a lot of interest in. From what I understand, there's around three championship clubs are showing a lot of interest in him. He's got two 
European clubs that have been showing interest in him as well. So there, there's a lot of buzz around him right now. And I think more so than the results this time, I think this second spell has shown he's got such a clear identity as well of the way he wants to play. And I think that there's a lot of clubs out there that will buy into that. Um, there's a few clubs out there I'd be worried for him as well. You know, I think he has to pick the right club for him if that's what he's going to go into now. I think for me, let's say, this obviously is not for the now, this could be at any time, but the likes of, of a Swansea, let's say, ones that have this patience and a certain style of football would be ideal for him. Whereas, <clears throat> excuse me, you could maybe go into a club like, a, I don't know, like a Watford or a Leeds, where we know there's less time for the managers there to perform and you've got less time to put your principles of play into it. So I hope that if he were to leave this summer, he would very carefully weigh up the decision. Um, do you know what? I was thinking, I don't think this will happen, but a job swap would be really good. And I mean, I'm sure the Celtic fans would be like, ooh, giving us your kind of cast-offs, which it would not be. But I actually think Ryan Mason would fit very well into Celtic. And he would. He and Postacoglu have got very similar ideals and, and, and thoughts on the game. Um, and actually, if they wanted to continue what they were doing, he really wouldn't be the worst idea in the world for them at all. Um, but I haven't seen that kind of mentioned thus far. Um, it, you know, he may well decide, I like this. I like what Postacoglu is doing. This is very much what I'm thinking as well. So let's let's do a little bit of learning from him um, before he makes the next step. Because yes, he's had a lot of coaching experience now, but he is still 31. Time's on his side. Um Maybe if the offers there aren't of that kind where he feels the security and there's a lot of people that rate him so highly at Spurs and want to keep him around, maybe being part of the new coaching staff wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. Um, I don't know how that works dynamic-wise with the players, you know, with the players knowing that he very clearly wanted to be the manager and how that works with Postacoglu, knowing someone on his staff desperately wants his job, I guess. It's, I don't know. I don't know. It, it would depend. That's not to say that Ryan Mason is, you know, not going to be ultra professional anyway. But um, yeah, I don't, I don't know which way it will work. But uh, we should get some idea of that. Look, if I'm Celtic, I'm not probably wanting to let any of those coaching staff go. I can understand that as well. And they would rightly point out, well, we put this coaching staff together for you. They're not your guys. You didn't come in with them. Um so, yeah, we'll see what happens with that. But uh, the key thing for Postacoglu, which he's maybe not had to do before to this degree, is he and his coaches have got to convince some quite high-profile players that he can bring something new to them and something new to their game and and lead them to stuff. You know, there's, there's World Cup winners in there. There's people that have played in the biggest games um, that the sport can offer. You've got an absolute world-class player in Harry Kane. Uh, you've got Sonny, who is one of the most, you know, well-regarded top footballers in the world. He's got to very quickly make his mark and, and make them believe. And to be fair, I know it's, you could argue it's at lower levels and, and different kind of players, but he has done that at every level. And, and Joe Hart, he's someone that's played for every single, like a lot of the top managers going. And he has said, without doubt, that Postacoglu is the best that he's worked with. 
Um, and he said he's he's learned so much from him despite being in his mid-30s that he'd never picked up on his career before. So if everything goes as we think it will go, he should leave his mark. From from what we understand is of what he says, there's going to be this story he tells when he enters the club. It's the same story he tells every time he enters a club. And it is that, look, we're going to do remarkable things. But when people do remarkable things, there's always doubts. Always. That is the anyone that's ever achieved anything special in life and has created something that's never seen before has always been plagued by critics and doubt and they have to take risks. They have to believe. Um, and this is what we'll do. We'll do something special, but people around us are not going to believe it's going to be possible, but we're going to do it. And obviously he will say that far more eloquently than I just did and it will be a long kind of, not a long speech, but a, a speech that very evocatively paints what he wants to do with the club. And judging by previous people, it should do the trick. It just depends on how it people with maybe slightly bigger egos because of what they've won or what they've done, how they take it. Um, and that's going to be the most fascinating thing for me about these early weeks ahead. But then there's quite a, a number of players at Tottenham who've never won a thing at club level. So Absolutely. He's won more than them, yeah. I agree. Exactly. I think it's one of these where you've just got to trust him buy into it and as he said in these first few weeks Celtic manager what he always used to say to the players was trust the process I think you've just got to trust him uh, playing the style of football you want to play it's going to be attractive it's going to be entertaining football and then hopefully there will be the trophies uh, that come with it and if you One don't thing, buy in you're out aren't you? 100% he does, yeah. not, he does not allow players in that don't want to be part of it I think there was a couple of players last season, uh, Juranovic, who I think he signed for two and a half million. Uh, I think Union Berlin was sniffing about him. I think that maybe turned his head. And in the end, he wanted to go there. So that Andrew was right. You, you go in. Uh, made a five million profit on him. Jack and Mackie. Big players is, as well, isn't it? Yeah, he, yeah, he doesn't yeah. mind going in there. It can be the most popular player he does not care if it doesn't fit and they don't like what he's doing they're gone yeah and then there was Jackamakis as well I think that he ended up going to Atlanta United and he was another one that head was turned so it was goodbye and that's it and then they made the profit on him as well and his transfer dealings are going to be really interesting how he works with the new manager and director of football whoever that's going to be uh, we still need to wait and see that's the next thing Tottenham need to do but what he did do when he was at Celtic he dips into the Japanese transfer market quite a bit so obviously he's well aware of the players there Kyogo I think he signed for four and a half million uh, 34 goals this season 20 goals last season Rea Hitati one and a half million he had 20 goal involvements uh this season he's he certainly playing got... in university football a couple of years yeah. ago as well that's what yeah. a plucking of the, of a real young talent that was that's incredible yeah he really does have an eye for a player and one thing i didn't know he actually tried to sign matoma who's at brighton yes yeah uh, i think the same summer he got kyogo uh but in the end I think because Brighton have this really impressive scouting network as well. They just nipped in before Celtic. So 
clearly got an eye for a player. Uh, whether he looks to bring in a couple of players from Japan or maybe even Scotland or he might even want to take a couple of his players who are currently at Celtic to Tottenham. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see because he's made some really good signings there. Jota's another one uh, who plays on the left wing. Tottenham obviously going to need to replace Lucas Mora and now Dan Juma as well now that they've departed the club. So that he does have, uh, he knows a good player when he sees one. So there may be some transfers this summer from Tottenham that maybe aren't the high profile players certain fans want, but they could turn into diamonds uh, for Spurs. So, yeah, I'm really intrigued to see what Spurs and Postacoglu do in the transfer market over the coming weeks and months. Yeah, I mean, they've still got to get the director of football in as well. And yeah. that will influence um, a certain direction as well. But yeah, definitely, um, Postacoglu's got a great idea of the Asian market. He's a guy that, let's be honest, I think people are kind of expecting him to come in and, oh, he's not going to know much about the Premier League or, or players uh, across Europe. This guy is like encyclopedic knowledge of, of football. He watches every game. This is a guy that, he admits himself, he's obsessed by football. He knows he will sit up and watch, you know, games in South America. He will watch everywhere. He knows all of these players. And, and yeah, I was speaking to a few of the um, Celtic journalists about which players would maybe be able to make the step uh, across to, to the Premier League and which ones they thought he would maybe like to go back for. And, and the general consensus was there were three players. And actually, Jota didn't come up too much, which I was quite surprised about, actually. Um, but definitely, yeah, Kyogo was one, although it was the point was made that he's almost 29. It's kind of a now or never for him. If he is going to go to the Premier League, it probably is now. Um, and yeah, Hatate was one that everyone said because he's he's younger. And they said he's kind of, obviously he hasn't had the sensational headline-grabbing season that Kyogo ha has had, but he is one that, like I say, it was a couple of years ago, I was playing university football and has just been incredible. They just think potential-wise. And look, if we're going to be incredibly cynical about this, I'm sure Spurs would not object to be able to uh, have another popular figure that the Asian market would love in their club. It's uh, Look, this is not to do down the talent because obviously these are two players that have had a terrific season. But I'm sure as... If you're going to be the money men at Tottenham, we'll see that as also as a marketing uh, thing as well. So it, it makes sense on so many levels, but most of all for me, because I think there would be valuable additions to the squad. And you know what the other one is? And people are going to, I know the reaction to this, Cameron Carter-Vickers. Honestly, so many journalists up there have said, why did you let him go? And it's a bit like, well... He wasn't getting the chances, really. And he'd gone out on so many loans. But we could see. I mean, you and I, Guess you and I do a loan roundup all the time. We're always keeping an eye on the loan players. And we could see in the last few loan spells that he was getting better and better and better. And he was having more and more of an impact. And he's gone to Celtic. And he's been one of the best defenders in the Scottish League by a, a long shot. And Postacoglu has absolutely brought him on a ton as well. And I just... I just don't know whether Spurs would, would bring him back and the reaction. I think fans would probably see that as like, oh, was Carter Vickers coming back? You know, yeah, he went and did it in the Scottish League. What does that mean and all that? But as a young defender, from what everyone says up there, he has developed so much. Um, it's one of those funny ones where, again, like I say, out of sight, out of mind, people aren't maybe realising the leaps and bounds he's made. 
Um, yeah, so maybe one to keep an eye on. I don't know whether there's some buyback clause there where he could end up actually being quite cheap. I don't know. Um, that might be one for me to kind of dig into this week. But uh, yeah, I just thought that was interesting that every single one of them mentioned Cameron Carter-Vickers and almost like, why did you let him go? Because um, I think he's also been really good in their European performances as well. It was a funny career ahead at Spurs because he kind of burst onto the scene quite early. Poch bigged him up, then didn't really use him at all. Um, said that he could be one of the best defenders in England, I remember him saying to us in a press conference, but then never really played him. Um, and he was kind of thrown in. And it's the worst thing for defenders when they throw him in every so often into a match and you can see they haven't got rhythm and they look kind of a bit clunky and awkward. But yeah, he's gone away to Celtic, played almost every game for the past couple of seasons. And yeah, he's developed into a, into a really good player. And there was a lot of Premier League links with him last year as well. Um, so I know people might scoff at him coming back to Spurs, but I wouldn't be stunned if he's playing in the Premier League next uh, season or the one after. So uh, yeah, I just thought that was fascinating. And, and yeah, like I say, director of football is crucial now. Uh, they've done it the wrong way around, so they're going to have to pick someone who fits in with Postacoglu's beliefs as well. No bringing in a Fabio Paratici who wants more defensive-minded football. You've got to have someone that really loves that free-flowing, fast, aggressive possession football. Um, and then you've got to shape the squad to fit it. So, yeah, the work is not done by any means, but at least... Um, and this was I was talking to Ledley King yesterday for an interview that's going out today, and he was saying, yeah, I know it feels like it's an age since Conte went, but actually in terms of planning to have got the manager sorted literally two days after the season finished in Scotland, you know, after his cup final, you've now got this period where they can really push through a lot of the plans and what he wants. So yeah, it's done with enough time to make, it's not like Nuno. Nuno rocked up a couple of days before pre-season started, whereas they now have this crucial almost a month until pre-season starts to, uh, to get a lot of things sorted. And like I say, not least the director of football as well. Just going back to Carter Vickers, uh, I mean, it would look extremely daft from a Tottenham perspective to have sold him for what, six million last summer and then buying him back for even more money this summer. They've done it before. They've done it like uh, Defoe's come back, Kabul's come back, Chimbonda's come back. It's all because Redknapp wanted them back. So it's not out of the but, realms of possibility. No, but in the space of 12 months, though, it just yeah. does make you look daft. Uh, but what I would say on because I think Postacoglu has labelled him the best defender in Scotland. Tottenham need a defender. You do get some players who, you know, it doesn't work out for them, but all of a sudden this manager comes in and it transforms them as hungry. a player. Yeah, <laughs> and he's saying, <laughs> great. And obviously you do, you get managers who just completely transform players and take them to a, another level. And obviously Postacoglu had a massive, massive influence on Carter Vickers. And I think it was last summer, Newcastle, Leicester, might have been Bournemouth as well with some of the names linked with him. So you've seen things happen in football before. Who knows? But I do agree with you. I think maybe you do see him in the Premier League at some point in the not too distant future. He's clearly excelled during his uh, time in Scotland and he, he wasn't really given a, 
a chance at Tottenham, and I think a chance is something that people just need. Uh, uh, one time, look at Ange. Maybe if Celtic yeah. didn't turn to him, we'd be talking about another manager uh, in the hot seat right now. So, yeah, uh, let's wait and see. In terms of incomings and outgoings then at Tottenham this summer, there's obviously one name who's dominating all the talk regarding a potential outgoing, and that's Harry Kane, especially due to his contract status. He'll be in the final 12 months of that six-year deal he signed in 2018, come the start of July. Tottenham struggles to win silverware, certainly Anderson uh, helped Kane's case and Manchester United have been heavily linked with him for a number of years now. Real Madrid have come into the equation following Karim Benzema's move to Saudi Arabia. He's linked up with Nuno uh, over there. So Real Madrid now need a number nine. There's been a lot of talk about Kane's their top priority this summer. Does he go there? Does he stay at Tottenham now? I'd the Benzema exit does definitely put a different light on things. I would say, uh, had he not left, I think I would have almost been a hundred percent confident that Kane would stay this summer. Uh, I still, again, this is purely my opinion. I'd still say it's leaning towards him staying. I do. Just the Real Madrid, it's one of those where, yes, of course, the to be the all-time top Premier League goal scorer is an incredible thing. You're written in history. But let's be honest, the, the chance to play for Real Madrid <laughs> and probably hoover up the trophies as well is something it would probably be staffed for any player to turn down. Um, I think it would still come down to valuation. And I think Spurs would still put a massive valuation on him despite the year left because of how important he is. And then it's down to whether, you know, Real Madrid would feel, I mean, what is he, 30 this summer, Harry? So whether you'd spend that much money on a player who you might fear you're not going to get too long out of, although I think we know fitness-wise he'll be absolutely fine for years to come. Um, yeah, it was interesting. The Spanish media was wild yesterday. Um, I could see, like, I was. I saw at the start of the day there'd been some huge meeting apparently between Spurs and Real Madrid trying to thrash out a deal for him. Something that Spurs denied very, very strongly had, had taken place and and were bewildered by it. Then later in the day, there was different Spanish media outlets that were saying, "No, Real Madrid have decided they're not going for Kane because he's too expensive, and also that Kane had priced himself out of a move with his salary demands." It was like, "Whoa, this is a roller coaster." This feels like all in the space of about twelve hours. Um, I think ultimately, it's it's what gets put on the table. It doesn't matter what kind of people believe or what people's motivation is, what people want. Ultimately. If anyone is to prize Harry Kane away from Tottenham, they have to put an incredible amount of money down on the table. They should not be fooled into thinking, oh, there's only 12 months left because that, we've said this a million times, 12 months more of Harry Kane is more important than a huge sum of money. It really is because of what they would probably do with it at Spurs and they know recruitment-wise they're unlikely to replace him with as good as he is. Um, and also in today's market, you know, the amount of money it would cost to even buy players who might have a chance of recreating what he does. And we've said before, you need two players, an attacking midfielder and a striker to replace what he does. It still doesn't come to the same amount of money. So it would take 
Real Madrid especially, I'd be surprised if Spurs were to accept a bid from a Premier League club. You never know if it was an incredible offer and Harry Kane maybe, it would maybe need Harry Kane publicly to come out and say he wanted to leave, which I don't know whether he's the kind of guy that would do that. I don't know uh, if he did want to leave. Ultimately, Spurs will want to have an, at least another 12 months with him and then they'll want him to see what Postacoglu wants to do and maybe buy into it. Well, definitely buy into it. And then hopefully that new deal would come as a, as a part of that. Um, because any player that has played for Postacoglu has loved playing for him. I'm still yet to find a single player that has not enjoyed their experience. I'm sure there must be out there because there's always someone that's been binned off or chucked out of club or or not given as much game time that will be unhappy. But as of yet... I'm really struggling to find that. So Kane will have a lot of chances created for him. He's got the chance to probably score even more than he did this season in a Postacoglu system because that ball will constantly be put into his path in front of goal. Um, and if he's enjoying himself and he feels like this guy could actually take them to a trophy, um, and you know, I was telling you off air this before, before we started doing this, that I've got just this funny feeling that Spurs will progress a little bit in the league maybe not top four but they will get maybe top six they will they'll will, they will move up the league you'll see the progression but actually Postacoglu ends up being the one that breaks the trophy drought you know they win an FA Cup or a or a Carabao Cup just because you know the momentum that he builds within teams um and if they do that you know it's been said many times surely a trophy with Tottenham for Harry Kane will be worth about five at another club because of the effort that he's put in to get to this point. Um, so, yeah, we'll see what happens with Harry Kane. I think a lot depends on just how serious Real Madrid are. Spurs, you'd imagine, would be, I don't want to say happy because that's a wrong word to use it, less adverse to selling him to a foreign club than they would be to a Premier League club. Um but again, yeah, it's, it's, it's three parties have all got to play their part in this, and, and that's the biggest thing for Harry Kane. And, and also the fact that in a year's time, he's got his entire future in his hands if he doesn't sign a deal. So, yeah, the Harry Kane one is going to be one that, uh, a bit like a bit like with the manager situation, we could really do with knowing having some clarity on it quite early. Um, whether we're going to get that because of the way football works, I don't know. But it, it would be great if someone came out quite early and just said, no, no, Harry's made it very clear his intention is to stay here and play at the club or whatever, or Harry Kane does that, I don't know. I think we'll have England press conferences coming up soon with him where you'd presume that he will bat it away. The worst thing that could happen would be for Spurs fans if he says something similar to what Hugo Lloris has said, which we're going to talk about. Um, but uh, yeah, we'll see what it brings. I mean, if I'm Kane, I would probably go to Real Madrid. If Real Madrid come in and put in a serious offer and Daniel Levy accepts it, if I'm Kane, I go. I just think it's a, it's a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to go out there and play for Madrid. Uh, Do you think Spurs having the all-white kit this season is to fool him into the game <laughs> <for> Madrid? <laughs> maybe. Maybe it is. Uh, but no, I think you just go, it's just... Once in a lifetime, these opportunities don't come around every day. But what I probably would do is, right, I'll go for one or two years, then I'll come back and I'll try and break that Premier League record. 
But I suppose from Kane's perspective, a lot of it probably will come down to the family situation uh, because they're clearly happy and settled in North London. His wife's having uh, a fourth child later this year. So that may have a huge bearing on it if Real Madrid uh, do come calling. So, yeah, uh, really interesting one. But I think what Tottenham need is for Ange Postacoglu to obviously have a conversation with Kane, whether that's over the phone or in person. I know you said Ange isn't someone who speaks with the players for a large amount of time, but I think this is something he's got to do. This is your main man who's out of contract next summer. There's huge question marks over whether he will be at the club come next season. And I think Ange just needs to obviously talk with Kane, uh, see where he's at in terms of his head going into the new season and then just, you know, uh, outline his plans and discuss why Kane can be pivotal in his team. We've seen Kane score, or Kane probably had his best season in Jose Mourinho's team in 2020-21 when he won the Premier League top goal scorer and for the assists as well. And that was in, you know, uh, a team that was defensive uh, you'd say under Mourinho and Conte as well and he had a really good season this year if he's playing in a rather really really attack minded team uh, under Posta Coglu when the ball's always going to be going forward just imagine the amount of goals he can score this season and with Posta Coglu having this winning mentality given Tottenham and in Europe he's going to be tagging the League Cup this year surely the yeah. FA Cup as well I'm excited uh, for Sonny as well I think Sonny's going to have a really good season in front of goal as well. Yeah. Uh, I, the thing is with Poster Coglu as well, he always says the right words, powerful words. Uh, everyone likes what he says. And I think it can have a huge bearing on Kane's future. I think there's definitely got to be a conversation between the two of them just just for the clarity as well, what everyone needs. Yeah. 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 It's uh, Yeah. That first... Yeah. It's like we say, it's really difficult because we've we've described a man who doesn't have long chats <laughs> with players. And ironically, this is when he really <laughs> needs to have a good chat with a player. Um, he just needs to spell out everything to Harry. I mean, this is the thing. Look, he must be very good in certain one-to-one situations because every person that's actually done a proper interview with him has been blown away with him. And, and presumably his interviews were very impressive for this job as well. Um so if he sells Harry Kane into what he's going to do and what he's going to do to get that, I, I'd, be, I'd struggle to think Harry Kane's not going to be inspired in some way by what he can actually achieve with Spurs. But there will obviously be a natural sense of, yeah, but I've been here so many times before. And that that's going to be the thing for Harry Kane. It's trying to convince him that this is something different to what he's had before. And that'll be that'll be crucial in these weeks ahead. I mean... I was at the kit launch last night and Harry Kane's image was very prominently featured throughout on everything. Uh, and again, this morning, I see that he's there on all the stuff. It doesn't really mean too much. 2013, Gareth Bale was quite prominent and then promptly left for, ironically, Real Madrid. Um, but, yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Kulisevsky is involved as well, wasn't he? He's, he's uh, they've been selling his shirt today. It's interesting for a player technically is only on loan but pretty much goes to show that they wouldn't be advertising selling his uh 
his kit uh, when they'd know they'd have to do loads of refunds if they weren't going to push through that deal for him. So, uh, yeah, fingers crossed on Harry Kane. One player who definitely looks like he will be leaving uh, as he wants to go and try a new adventure elsewhere is Hugo Lloris. Perhaps not a shock. I think it's just the right time for, you know, the club and the player to go the separate ways as obviously Tottenham Hotspur enter a brand new era. Lloris has served the club extremely well of the past uh, 11 years, but in the past year or so, you know, a few errors have creeped into his game. And given his age, I think Tottenham were always going to look for a new number one this summer. And I think that's got to be probably one of the top priorities on Ange Postacoglu and the new managing director of football's uh, to-do list come July. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, again, this is another player that's been... Look, like Kane, the years that Larice has put in to the football club are amazing. I mean, uh, I interviewed Ledley King and Michael Dawson last night, and I didn't even think about it. Michael Dawson said he, he reminded me he played with Ledley King at Spurs. Uh, sorry, <laughs> it was stupid. He played with Hugo Larice. <laughs> so I know he played with <laughs> Ledley King. He played with Hugo Larice, Michael Dawson at Spurs, and it's just like, oh my goodness, you just kind of forget. He's eleven years he's been at the club. Uh, the different teams he's played within. Um, and, yeah, I just... It just shows you how much he's done. I, I really think, because of this kind of, like you say, the errors that have come in and the injury frustrations this season, people forget just how much Lloris has done for the club and how many times he's saved them and how many points he's rescued for Spurs. And if you look at the amount of mistakes he's made and kind of put that on one side and put in the other column all the times he saves Spurs with incredible saves. It's it's not even a comparison. You know, you're talking about a handful of points lost compared to so many that he saved them. Um and yeah, it will be it'll be sad when he when he goes. I would be you'd think at this point, if he wants to leave, I know he's got a year left on his contract, but you would assume a, a mutual understanding could be come to. Um Seems like there's a bit of interest in him back in France and elsewhere in the world as well. Um, I know he wanted to kind of end his career back in France and maybe go back to Nice as well. I think Leon perhaps are interested in him. Um, and there's a sides um, further abroad as well that have been looking at him. I've been intrigued. I've always wondered whether he'd end up in the MLS. Uh, and now I've seen the Messi news. I do wonder it even more because... Um, I know his, his his wife has a very successful, I think it's a children's clothing line. It's got uh, people, big Hollywood stars have kind of really enamored with this clothing line. So I do wonder whether business-wise sense it makes, it makes it's a good thing for both of them to maybe head over to America. That's not to say that I know there's of any interest from America. It's just always crossed my mind as a potential destination for him. Um, but you'd think if someone comes in with an offer you'd think Spurs probably don't even accept a fee. Surely they just say, okay, well, we write off the rest of your contract. And then that's a big high-earning player off their contract, uh, their salary each week. Um, and, you know, you presume even Perisic goes as well. Between those two players, that's probably half a million a week in in salary that's suddenly off the wage bill. Um so yeah, no, it'll be sad to see Loris go, but I do think naturally it's it's the right time now for him. I mean, 
he kind of has other, in his own words, other challenges now that he'd like to go and do. And it's it was always the plan this summer that Spurs were going to bring in his eventual replacement. And now it happens to be that that player will become the immediate replacement. <clears throat> you know, the, the, for me, there's a standout name, I think, in David Raya at, at, um, at Brentford. But I think Raya ticks a lot of boxes in that he's, Again, sorry to use the word for those who get bored of the saying, he's homegrown. Um, so that saves, you know, you're replacing a foreign player in Larice. That's another benefit. Although not obviously having to deal with European squads this season. So that's one less issue. Um, but there's a few names out there. Um, Sanchez at Brighton. You know, you were telling me he's he's homegrown as well, isn't he? He's seen as, as that as well. There's a, there's a few out It doesn't have to be a homegrown keeper, but Joe. there's a few. <laughs> Pickford yeah he's another one homegrown <laughs> it, it, it cost a lot though just because of his contract length uh, yeah. but I think Rai is the standout one yeah yeah I, th- I, I think so personally and it just and he doesn't have long has he got 12 months left he hasn't got a long contract yeah length. he's entering the final 12 months yeah, so he makes sense on a lot of points, although I know Brentford are trying to hold out for a decent sum for him. Um, but for me, and that's another thing we we don't kind of notice sometimes about Larice is that he's been here 11 years. Spurs haven't had to spend big on a keeper in all that time because of him. They've always just bought young or experienced backup keepers for him. He saved them all of those millions over those years because... He's never really needed to be challenged, I guess, until these last couple of years. Um, but yeah, yeah, I think I think it will be sad to see him go, but I do think it's the right time um, for for all parties. And I'm sure it's difficult because he's not. I was about to say he's going to get a great send off, but he won't. It's kind of that chance has gone. Um, but I'm sure he'll come back and get a send off because let's be honest. That goodbye, that that lap of appreciation was horrendous on the final day of the season, for in every respect, including our eardrums. Um, so hopefully he'll come back and be properly given a farewell um, for everything he's done for the club. And uh, yeah, yeah, I, I just hope that, um, like I say, we don't get Harry Kane saying anything similar in the weeks ahead. Yeah. As it's uh, a brand new era for Tottenham with Ange Postacoglu, the club will be wearing a brand new kit for the 23-24 season. Spurs will be in all white for the first time since the 2012-13 campaign. And shirt is uh, a bit different to last season. I know there's not exactly much you can do in terms of a white shirt, but it has uh, navy cuffs. Uh, I think it looks quite smart. Obviously, you were at Ali Pali last night for the uh, the kit launch. Fan of the kit? I am more so now having seen it in the flesh. I think th- we always run this thing, don't we? This kind of, you see the images leak so many months before and they always like, they're always shoved on the floor, aren't they? But I don't know why. <laughs> Someone always decides, I'm going to take a photo of it, throw it on the floor. And it always looks a bit naff. Um, and you kind of look at it like, like in certain light, the patterns on it were maybe more prominent. And I was a bit like, oh, it just looks like they've got all these computer like, patterns thrown on it. But actually in the flesh, it's quite nice. It is. And I think with the all white look, it's quite smart. Um, I looked back, I was looking at how many times Spurs have, have actually worn an all white kit quite a few times over their history. 
it's a good, it's probably more than 10 times, I'd say, the 10 seasons, I mean, uh, where they've worn it. And uh, yeah, it's a good look. Uh, I should stress after recent discussions as well about uh, women and wearing white shorts, the women's team, although they've been modeling white shorts in the promos, will be wearing navy shorts um, that apparently won't be for sale. But uh, yeah, though no, they'll be wearing navy shorts this season. But no, it, it's... Um, I think it, it looks quite sharp. Like I say, my well, as you've just said, the home shirts is never really going to be too much variation. Um, they, it's 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 going to always be your most basic one when you're a club who pretty much just have a home white shirt with either a navy or yellow trim. It's not going to change up too much, but yeah, I think in the flesh it looks a lot. It sounds daft, whiter. So the actual patterns on it aren't as prominent and not as... Apparently, it's something to do with the sound. It's the sound of spurs, those patterns mean. Uh, I'm not entirely understanding of that, but... Um, and yeah, the prices are still mad. If I'm ever going to have a gripe about kits, it's the prices. I was looking at some of those. And like, oh. Do you remember the days when you were a kid and you used to go out and buy often the whole kit because it was a reasonable price and there'd be one every couple of seasons. You wouldn't have to change it each summer. And now there's like three, sometimes four kits each season and the prices are eye-watering. They really are. But I guess they turn, turn them into fashion things now as much as football kits. But um, sorry to sound like a bit of a, a, a grumpy old man, but I just, every time I see the, the prices, I'm just like, what? It's, like, it's just a mad price. Um, but yeah, it looks smart, it looks cool, and I think you get Spurs playing good football next season, the Postacoglu, in an all-white kit. Uh, it's going to look pretty smart, pretty swish, and it's just f- strange in a way that there's no European football, so the need to have all-white on European nights is like just seeped into the whole season. Um, and yeah, that no, was nice. Nice. It was, it was a good event. I think it was the first time they've invited fans as well, so... Uh, got to kind of see a lot of the Spurs fans and, and lots of very nice people stopped to have a chat and stuff. And uh, yeah, it was good. And like I said, got to speak to to Letters and Doors. They're very good as well. And I saw a few people mulling around. I saw Greta Steinson as well. I think he was the performance director. I saw him walking around as well. A couple of the youth players. I saw Jamie Donnelly walking around looking at the kit as well. I think a big season lies ahead for him next year as well. I'm quite excited to see what was, happens with him. I didn't see him, but I think Mikey Moore was there as well. Um, yeah, hopefully the, the future spurs some of these players as well. So, uh, yeah, and my first time at Alexandra Palace. I've never been there before. Very cool building. Very cool indeed. So, uh, yeah, I think we're going to get the away kit is going to get released just before the tour, maybe the day or two before they head off on the tour. Um, and the third kit is August, I think. That's normally when it is anyway, is, is August. So, uh, yeah, I've kind of, obviously, we've seen the potential images of them. The away one. The away one always is a little bit weird <laughs> for me. It's always the one that's a little bit, obviously, we had the wetsuit this year. Is it this one's got the collar this year? I think the away yeah, one. Yeah, it's uh, purple with iridescent logos. What makes the change? Uh, I think there's been images of the third kit doing the rounds. Yeah, is it, is which it I think quite. Yeah, maybe. And what I've kind of found out in recent days that I wasn't aware of. Apparently, 
the the kits are like approved for like almost two years in advance. That's how Nike work. So yeah, so at this point we're all seeing the new one, whereas Spurs will be signing off probably the ones for a couple of years' time. It's really weird how locked in they are. So uh yeah, we'll see what the the what the next few kits bring. But yeah, that's it's nice enough. Hopefully a kit that will associate with lots of goals. Yeah, fingers crossed that will be the case under Ange Postacoglu following his appointment as Spurs manager on a four-year contract. Right, we'll leave that there for today's latest episode of Gold and Guest Tot Tottenham. Thank you for ever as listening in and just keep with us at football.london for all your latest Tottenham news. Grab your exclusive NordVPN deal by going to nordvpn.com forward slash gold guest to get a huge discount off your NordVPN plan plus four additional months for free. It's completely risk-free with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee.